this is Fiona, one of the co-hosts of the DM's Book Club, a weekly book club podcast where we read about some Dungeons & Dragons and discuss how we might include them in our role-playing campaigns. In this episode, I got to chat with game designer David Summerfield about his latest RPG work, The Star Shaman Song of Plain Gear, the prehistoric fantasy setting for 5th edition, published by Atlas Games. Gone are the safe halves of taverns and libraries, kingdoms and cathedrals. Plangia is a place of utter wildness, where survival is the only law and it must be carved from the world by force of might and magic. Drawn from the traditions of source and sorcery pulp adventures, infused with blood-pounding thrills of the Fury Road and caught in the jaws of primordial dreams, Plangia has adventures for everyone who's ever felt the cold wind raise a chill of the hunt and hope on their raw skin. Plangia rises out of our earliest ancestral memory, a world we can barely recognise, which holds all the adventure we can imagine. You won't find limitations on class or kingship here, rather the world is filled with ideas and inspiration for running a long and glorious game set before words, hammered ore and ploughed fields. Nothing is what you expect in Plangia. The planes of existence have not yet separated, and a warrior can travel by foot from the Sea of Stars to the infinite volcanic peak of Blood Mountain. But, along the way, that warrior must battle everything from cold alien intelligences to genie caravans, from the four empires of the giants to monsters that hunt the howling peaks and roaring oceans that ring the Great Valley. From the cold, bony fingers of the nightmare world to the terrifying jaws of the jungle known as the Venom Abyss. Every step of the journey is plagued with danger and death. Plangia is now out in digital PDF, with physical copies looking to be released in the new year, I'll put a link to all the information and to Atlas Games in the episode description. Thanks again, and I hope you enjoy. Well, we'll just start off very, very simply. Um, who Great. are you and what do you do? I'm David Somerville. I am a uh, graphic designer, creative director by day and a game designer by night or really very early morning uh, <laughs> is, my, is my best creative time, I think, mm-hmm. when the house is quiet and the kids are asleep. So yeah, I, uh, in the... In the recent past, I created and worked with Atlas Games to publish the Star Shaman Song of Plangia, which is a Stone Age setting for 5th edition. And uh, it's been a lot of fun, a lot of fun to work on and great fun to see it come to life. Yeah. How long have you been working on it, if you don't mind me asking? Because I know the Kickstarter at time recording was about a year ago when it funded and now it's finally coming out into the world. Yeah. I began in mid to late 2018. My family was getting ready to embark on this journey. We were, uh, I was from the Washington DC area. My wife and I had three kids decided that area is very stressful and we don't want to, we don't feel like we need to remain there. So I let go of the job that I had, took up work as a remote graphic designer. Mm -hmm. We let go of our lease on our house, bought an RV and spent a year traveling America, trying to find a new hometown to raise our kids in. And it was while I was preparing the RV for that trip that all of the wheels started to turn on this. So I was driving across America, looking at wild landscapes I had never imagined before, encountering all sorts of new vistas and horizons and dreaming up some of this. Mm. Um, But then it was really pretty much coinciding with the pandemic that the, the real work began. May of 2020 was when I released the first you know, the first public sort of bit for people mm-hmm. to see. And then, as you said, kickstarted last year. So it's been in stages over yeah, time. Absolutely. And so um, we'll go on to playing Gia in a second. So I always been interested. Do you mostly get your inspiration? Like you said, you're a graphic designer as well. Do you mostly get your inspiration from like environments and locations and stuff 
rather than say, uh, you know, a video game or a book or something like that. Because a lot of times when I ask that, obviously people are like, you know, a whole range of things, but because right. obviously it's such a unique experience to yeah. be traveling and seeing all these different uh, environments as you're passing through. Yeah, I definitely think it has a huge impact. I think, you know, if you look at, just speaking of graphic design or advertising, if you look at um, environments like London or New York, that are so stimulating and saturating, you see a different kind of design than, Mm -hmm. you know, in small suburbia or little villages. And then a whole nother kind, you know, if you're in a coast versus in sort of landlocked. And I remember for myself, I grew up in the suburbs of DC in this very sort of like hilly suburban area. And I think it wasn't until I was an adult that I realized I lacked a sense of scale and proportion. Everything in suburbia is sort of human sized. And with the little hills that we have, you never saw too much of anything. Mm -hmm. It was all sort of like under control. And as I traveled more and saw huge skies and enormous mountains and uh, a lot more things, it sort of opened up inspiration for, for the possibilities of scale. So I think that it definitely has an effect I don't know that I would say it has more of an effect than what you're reading or whatever. But I think, you know, I did a lot of research for the origins of the literature that Mm -hmm. created D&D during this. And it was really interesting to look at the difference between Howard, who wrote the Conan stories. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm going to forget his name now. The (laughs) author of the uh, Fafford and Gray Mouser stories, the Lankmar stories. And Howard was a Texan guy who like lived Mm -hmm. out in the land. And like kind of didn't have a good relationship with the city. So he wrote about this barbarian. And then the author of the Fafford and Gray Mouser stories was extremely urban. And his stories are just saturated mm-hmm. with all of this uh, sort of like the city is a character. So I think I think the environment shapes us. And then we create literature or art that is a response to that environment. And that inspires others, whether or not they share that environment. Interesting, because I'm thinking, because I am obviously based in London myself and in the UK as well, whilst we do have a little bit of the maybe wildness that you're referring to, uh, it's not compared to the US. Uh, my partner is from Iowa. And oh, nice. I, right. So we've done <laughs> yeah. our various road trips and, stuff, and it is vastly different like when you go to say nebraska or anything like that and it's just i we just don't have that that, on the same scale so i totally appreciate what you're saying about like you live somewhere all your life and then you go out you take that first step onto adventure and it's such a different scale and exactly and i think the thing that that like is wild to me about london is the scale of time which we don't have here in the states and just like you know, reading stories about laying new, uh, new underground, digging out new underground tunnels and finding woolly mammoth bones. And just like that is striking. And that's just like under the city where you all live all the time. And it's, yeah. and it it's still remarkable. happens. You, yeah. you hear about it every couple of months that they found something whilst they're excavating yeah, and everything has to incredible. stop and stuff. Yeah. It's yeah. Really Let's talk about Plain Gia then. So first of all, for those people who haven't heard of the setting, what is it? And how does it stand out to other campaign settings? How would you say it, ch- it changes uh, the perceptions of what it's supposed to be? Well, Plangea is prehistoric fantasy. And I think more specifically, prehistoric sword and sorcery. So it is a full, rich campaign setting, a big old thick book or PDF with sort of everything you need to run a campaign with character options, spells, monsters, good and evil factions, maps and locations, the whole nine yards. So you could think of it sort of like one of the books that's come out for Eberron or um, Ravnica, you know, any sort of good, rich setting book. What makes it distinct is that it is set in the Stone Age and its point of view is your characters are 
brilliant, creative, smart, interesting, capable, creative adventurers in the Stone Age. So it really sort of says from the beginning, we're not, I mean, you can play, uh, you know, Grog the Barbarian in any age and you can play him here, but that's not the limits of this. You can bring all of your ingenuity and sense of humor and intelligence to this, but because of certain factors, you are in the Stone Age. And what that means is metal's not available, writing's not available, the wheel isn't available, and everything is savage, everything is dangerous, everything is ready to rip you apart. You are hunted, you can take almost nothing for granted. Everything is in flux. Monsters might be different. Um, you know, they're sort of like the circle of firelight that you are in is pretty much the safe zone and then outside, and even that, like maybe yeah. not. I was really inspired by the method by which Keith Baker built Eberron. And he talks about building a setting as stacking crates of dynamite. And so it's uh, it's an attempt at that. And a really sort of expressing sword and sorcery classic tropes that the game arises from with a fifth edition sensibility. You really hit it home in old writing saying, it's not what you expect because of this mm-hmm. image that people think of like Stone Age. Oh yes, Grog the Barbarian. People don't speak and it's all very vicious in combat, but low intelligence. And that's not it at all. And you, uh, again, kudos to your writing, I know. And this is this could be oh, easily a compliment sort of pylon, but you instantly say that's not what this is at all. And like mm-hmm. you said, those few changes of factors, like the fact that yeah, without the metal, we don't have coin, we don't have a, a, a big money finance thing. So it's all traded in salt. You know, and then how do you work that? And so you've gone into so much detail about it and it instantly just opens up like, oh, if this is true, what else is true? Yeah. And I think one of the highlights for me is because sometimes I can imagine my people go, but what about this? And you've gone, ah, well, there is a table that sort of translates <laughs> uh, a medieval fantasy yep. thing, what its equivalent would be in the Stone Age. And I think that's just so helpful because obviously, yeah, like you sort of mentioned it there, the clan fire, that is sort mm-hmm. of the replacement as a, a community center, a tavern mm-hmm. per se. And you know, that's where you get your notice. That's where you meet friends and that's where you stay protected. But then it's like, okay, but what about other things. And you're like, oh, easy enough. Here's this. <laughs> yeah. You know, I had a light bulb moment where it's like, you know, I don't really, I act like I know about medieval things, but it's all just drawn from Disney or, you know, right. whatever. It's, it's just like, it's from this, like, it's a stack of tropes. There is, you know, on a geological scale, the stone age and the medieval age are right next to each other, right? They're mm-hmm. far from us. They are a long time ago for both of us. And so it's like, if, if you want to do those things, if you want to ride out into the wilderness and have adventures, really, it's not that hard to do in the stone age. If you just mm-hmm. sort of click your brain two notches backwards. exactly. Um, and easier for me because I'm not mechanically minded. So it's easier than steampunk or other things right. where you have to sort of say, well, how does the steam engine work? Or what's mm-hmm. my explanation here? It's all just, you know, everything is immediate tactile, graspable. You can see where the knots are that you can untie to bring everything tumbling down. Absolutely. And again, like, I guess for me as well, like lots of fantasies because it's, it feels very close to now. So like you said, Mm -hmm. like, like structures, the hierarchies and stuff, we still have kingdoms, you know, we still have these sort of structures. Take that back a couple of notches. Like you said, we don't have this. We have to go right back to stop. Like, how did it all begin? And Mm -hmm. certainly when you're sort of developing, like you look at the, you call them kingships, which I, kudos mm-hmm. are such a great word, by the way, about, mm-hmm. you know, the elves and the dwarves and stuff. And you're like, well, there's none of these, this history already. We're at the beginning. Yeah. These are individuals, not legacies. And yeah. I, such a, I, I was like, oh, so instantly we're not going to have, you just, you just take that away, go, right. Mm-hmm. You're just these people forced together. It doesn't matter 
what you may think, what baggage comes of it. You just are these people. And yeah. I, instantly I was like, oh, I am now intrigued by this. Because obviously a lot oh, of... Oh, that's great. But, yeah, but that's, it's true. Because a lot of fifth edition, obviously the talk about now, it's still this talk mm-hmm. about it. And I think you did such a great job with that. And let, let's talk about the kingships a little bit, if you're okay with that. Yeah, the, uh, great. So you've got a couple of new kingships in it. Uh, I wonder mm-hmm. if you're okay to talk about those. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I'd love to. Yeah, it was it was really fun for all of the kingships asking, you know... If you take away sort of like Lothlorien from elves, what are elves, right? And take away the dwarves, like this is how our ancestors have always done it. Like, no, you're the ancestors. You're figuring out yeah. what is dwarf like about that. For the new ones, you know, one of the ideas is if you look back at evolution and what we know about history, you know, there's a long time where it's not clear that mammals will be the survivors. Right. And in a magical world, it's not even clear. Well, I guess in our world too, like that life will form at all or bio or like, carbon-based, you know, biological life, um, or that the plants won't run everything. So what we kind of do here is we look at what are non-mammal, non-human-ish kind of kinships that would be interesting to explore Mm -hmm. to get that primordial weirdness, right? Everything is competing. Everything is like equal, on an equal footing, um, just like fighting to survive. So the four that we have in the book are the Saurians. So you have four different types of dinosaur folk, um, which are a lot of good fun. They have this sort of tie to necromancy and relationships with their ancestors and ability to sort of sense spirits, as well as being big, strong, scaly folk. Mm. There are the Dreas, which are walking trees. Yeah. This is uh, my my pitch for this is when you mash up a tree in The Little Mermaid and it's just <laughs> like, oh, I want to be part of their world. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so much fun. Such a like sweet spirited, um, but also very unpredictable mm-hmm. idea. I, I, you know, there's a lot of, dark stuff in this book because it's it is like primordial horror is one of the pillars mm. and it's intended to be scary and the dreas can be very scary and there is a tree villain that they can be all tied into mm-hmm. but i think there's something very light and kind of wonderful about the idea yeah. of just like you are a tree who decided to walk and to see the world oh, it's kind of yes yeah, it's, it's so it's so simple that isn't it like mm-hmm. this idea of having sleeping trees and waking trees and like the roving forest and all that sort of thing i was like yeah, yeah that's so cool and right. it, yeah i was just like oh, i want to play, i want to play a walking tree yeah <laughs> right yeah i know me too i would love to play that You know, so much of this was sort of looking at really great fantasy and thinking, okay, how do we rewind that? And so, I mean, this is easily and obviously taken from Tolkien, where he's talking about like at the start, the trees were awake and they were walking around and doing stuff. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, if you take that all the way to this idea that just like most trees are mostly awake in this Mm -hmm. time, it sort of changes your relationship to everything. And then there is the half ooze, which is a oozy Whoa. humanoid <laughs> i love it but also <laughs> yeah the opposite of the uplifting drias is like <laughs> the most depressing and edgelordy uh option available but you're kind of uh if you've seen men in black uh when the guy is wearing the edgar suit and mm-hmm. sort of the bug who's walking around like a person it's got sort of that feel there's a feeling of sort of monstrousness and decay and a lost identity and a lot of mystery built into whose body have you taken over Mm -hmm. um it's a real creepy one and then the last is the starling um Mm -hmm. because the idea that the stars are not still they dance in the heavens every night and they're sort of constantly moving like a sea of fireflies above you as 
and the stars are a very active part of Plain GA. You can learn secrets from them and yes. get guidance from them. And they duel every morning to see which star will take the role of the sun. And sometimes they fall from heaven and find themselves basically castaways in this uh, in this mm -hmm. world. So they are also so energy beings, also a lot of good fun. And you sort of brought it back there as a side is the environment you are in. It feels so alive, obviously, because the elements are still sort of coming together. Mm -hmm. It's constantly moving. You've got the one land, the one sky, and like you said, the stars fighting. And again, it feels it never stops. Whereas I think yeah. sometimes maybe in, in, in fantasy and stuff, obviously you have that moment of rest or something like that. But I think you mentioned it before, this idea of unpredictability. Mm -hmm. You leave the clan fire, you're traveling to who knows where, you know, working things out. You don't know what the next day is going to be. You're always hungry. You're always hunting. Yeah. And there's just something exciting about that. It's something just so unknown, maybe to me as a DM, but also to players. You're like, actually, yeah. this sounds fun. What, what, could, what could we do with this? You know? Exactly. Right. And it puts you in that primal place where you can't take anything for granted. Exactly. And you can be a brilliant, like, intelligence 20 person, wisdom 20 person, know how to navigate the world. But the world is continually changing. So it's not a chess game, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's sort of like, um, I should have another, it's it's dodgeball. You're, everything is always <laughs> moving all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you don't get hit by something because then you're just dead. <laughs> it is, it's or you do. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I wanted to quickly sort of mention on this. So yeah, as you said, like this sort of the environment is alive, but then this idea of there is a sort of metaphysical force, the mm -hmm. hounds of blind heaven, this idea of mm -hmm. there are taboos still in this world that even though it's just like, we're just beginning, there are still rules. And I yeah. thought this was great, this idea that there's no numbers over nine, anything over nine mm -hmm. is many. And I just thought yeah. <laughs> that to me would be such a great reveal as a DM, just be like, there are many of them. How many? Many. many. <laughs> I love that. I love that. When you're talking about how many goblins are out in front of us, you're like many. many. And that is so scary as a yeah. player, not to know if you're talking about 11 or a hundred. And then what you have to do is start using analogies, right? They fill the valley or, you know, there are enough to like chop down a tree easily. And you start kind of finding these other ways of expressing how many mm. you're talking about. For anyone who's not hasn't read the book, don't worry. You're allowed to use numbers. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know, it's not the like you roll a... can use all the numbers you want. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, you roll a d20. Yeah, what did you get? Oh, many. Oh, many. well, you hit. <laughs> yeah, it's not like that at all. But that would yeah, be I... a fun one shot. I would play that one shot. It's just yeah, but um... we're just like many. <laughs> But my my AC is many, so you don't hit. <laughs> but also you have stuff like there's no writing because obviously mm -hmm. writing invites these sort of things in. So it's all like you think about your changes and that, what does that change? You know, if this is true, mm -hmm. what else is true? And this idea of like wizards and sorcerers, you know, the spell skins, their spells are on the walls in drawings around where they are. And so people could just go in and, and copy them down and stuff. Yeah. And so it's, just like, oh, it's just, again, like yeah. so that sort of box of dynamite where you go, oh, oh, so there's mm -hmm. so much... From mm -hmm. that, from that little change of like, there's no writing. I just, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so much fun. Yeah. The, your wizards or spellskins have to sort of do cave paintings to work out their spells, which they can then copy onto their bodies in a sort of a permanent way. And it's great. Just as a DM, this is one of my favorite moments. And I, <laughs> I lean on it maybe a little too much where part <laughs> of the adventure is you stumble across a spell that's drawn across a wall. And if you have a spell skin in the party, they can copy it down at like finding a spell scroll. But it's also just the set piece. And it's also where is the spell skin? Like what mm. happened to them? And yeah. it's a mystery. And the 
spell scroll and an environment wrapped into one. It's just, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Again, it's always little adapting changes and stuff like that. So it makes mm-hmm. it, it just makes it so different and so fresh. Yeah. Um, so obviously, as you sort of alluded to, it's over 300 pages. <laughs> as a, it's a hefty <laughs> it's a big book. book. <laughs> it's a big book. I know you sort of talk about your experience about like how you sort of came into it. Like you said, you sort of were traveling mm-hmm. and you, you watched uh, various films and stuff like that. Where did you start in terms of mm-hmm. writing this piece? Was there like, I want to write this setting itself? Or do you, yeah. did you focus on like the smaller bits going, I want to change, make the, see what there is in fifth edition and adapt it? Because this is the thing, you, like you said, there's some brand new stuff, but there's also some really lovely adaptations saying like, if you want to play this particular class, you can do. Here's just some ways to fit it into the yeah. setting. So where did yeah. you start? The inspiration from... The beginning was I am a fifth edition kid. I came into this all pretty right. recently. Yeah. Or actually, my first session was like at the very, 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 very end of fourth edition. And I played maybe two games of that and then clicked over to fifth. So technically, technically. got in under the <laughs> under the wire. But uh no, I'm I'm uh, as old as this edition in my love of the game. And so I learned about though the Watsy fantasy setting search that led to Eberron where you know wizards of the coast put out this prompt they said send us one page about a new setting idea it has to have these elements Mm. and we'll look at them and we'll pick and then you'll advance to 10 pages and then 100 pages and then we'll choose the winner and eberron was the winner for this Mm. and you know not having been there and sort of being creative and i guess having an ego i was like okay well what would i have done for that And I started scribbling out a few ideas. I wish I could remember what the other ones were, but I honestly can't. The one that really was like, wait, was Stone Age. And I just learned that there was a Stone Age setting. I think it was Dawn Forge that came out of the same thing, which I now have to look into because I'm unaware like, of that. Uh-oh. <laughs> no, oh, no. <laughs> so, but I, I think I think it's okay. I think I'm I'm pretty happy with what I did. But yeah, so I the the prompt has really great guidance. It's sort of like a big concept sentence. Mm-hmm. It asks, who are your heroes and what do they do? Who are the villains and what do they do? How does magic work? So there's some really sort of basic questions and it wasn't allowed to be more than a page. Yeah. So I wrote that for myself and looked at it. I was like, okay, yeah, this, this sounds neat. And it's funny, the first page of, you know, let's see, of chapter one of the book mm-hmm. actually has cut and pasted copy oh, from that first page still. Awesome. So yeah. And so they, I really challenged myself to follow that structure. So I wrote one page. I got really happy with it. Then I expanded it to a 10 page. I think it was 12 technically. And from there, I was like, all right, let me try for 100. And then 100 <laughs> became 400, um, <laughs> you know, with art. That was really how it evolved. And I owe a huge debt to Keith Baker and his all of his brilliant thinking that he outlined in the Manifest Zone mm-hmm. podcast where he talks about each thing. He's, he talked about you know, what I've sought to do, which is everything in D&D exists here, but it might not be what you think. And that's right what I wanted to pursue. If it's in the game, it's in plain Gia. It just its role is probably not quite what you expect. And then also to the Appendix and Book Club podcast, which mm-hmm. goes through the stories that inspired the game. Mm-hmm. That was really like a masterclass on sword and sorcery, which I had not known much about before yeah. that. And mm-hmm locked in what I wanted to go for. And then finally, the um, really setting powered by podcasts, come to think of it. Um, <laughs> the uh, <laughs> Mastering Dungeons podcast with Sean Merwin and Teo Sabadia. Mm. They 
go through chapter by chapter, really scene by scene, modern books. I remember Icewind Dale specifically, they were just Mm -hmm. like really analyzing and they're both brilliant designers. And so I think I sort of learned about the beginning of the game from the Appendix and Book Club podcast. I learned about how to theoretically craft a setting from Keith Baker's Manifest Zone. And then I learned about modern 5e design from Mastering Dungeons and just like so much gratitude to all of those along the way. Yeah, no, that's incredible because, yeah, just to have that sort of certain structure. And then I love that, that, yeah, a bit of an ego, but I think you'd need that as any RPG writers. Yeah, you want to push yourself forward yeah, and make sure you do that's it. Right. So, like you said, so when you did it, you're 400 pages. But also, I mean, it, the artwork, we have to talk about the artwork mm-hmm. is, first of all, there's so much of it, but yeah. all of it is beautiful. It really, like, you're writing yourself, obviously, it, it gives you that visual stuff. I know you talk about the fact like, the five senses, everything's moving, mm-hmm. et cetera, but you really get that with all of the artwork and like yeah. do, you, do you know how many pieces of artwork you have or how many artists work on it? <laughs> no I don't I <laughs> yeah. should count sometime I have no idea it's many <laughs> yes yeah it's many because you've got like two pages at the beginning obviously with all of their credits and stuff and I'm just like mm-hmm. wow like it's just and that's I think this is the thing for me is that if I was going to run a campaign in Fungi I would definitely have those images to hand to show people because again just to yes. break that this is not what you think it's not what you expect and just show them there because there's some incredible ones. Do you have a particular favorite piece? I know it's going to be hard. There's so many of them. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, <laughs> there are so many. It's nice though, because my favorite is the cover um, yes. by Anna Potidwarna. It is, so the game has, or the setting has three pillars, which is kinetic action, primordial horror, and mystic awe or mystic mm. wonder. And I think too, that piece, which has, awesome primordial woman who is you know running through fire on the back of a woolly unicorn it's very sort of kinetic action casting a spell you got undead t-rexes chasing yeah. her the primordial horrors right there and then she's like got her hand uplifted is calling on sort of a constellation that forms a dragon which is mystic awe and so this piece to me is is playing Gia in an image. Absolutely. Um, I love yeah. it. It's really striking as well. Like you said, yeah. with the fire and the undead T-Rexes. It's just like, mm-hmm. wow, really, yeah. really cool. A good choice as well. And also an easy one to find because at the beginning of the book. Yes, <laughs> it's right that. there. Yeah. Yeah. Then, then I, I do have to say that we worked with so many talented artists. Yes. Um, and one of them, I actually don't know how to where the emphasis is in the pronunciation of his name. I'm going to say Malada, but it may be Malada or he's an artist that I believe is based in Spain and he's brilliant. And he did so many pieces for us that are really amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of our chapter openers are by him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's one that's sort of maybe the counterpoint to that, which I personally find just so brilliant and compelling. It's on oh, what page is it? Let's find out. Yeah. 282. Got- 282. Um, it's right. the beginning of the gods and monsters section, but it's the villainous yes. twer, um, the sort of minotaurus ox god. Oh, it's uh, so good. Yeah. It's so great. Uh, I could pick any number of his pieces, but this one in particular is sort of, it's almost the inverse of the cover. It is wondrous in sort of its scale. It's kinetic in terms of her rising up. And then it is 
terrifying terrifying yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah wow. there there are a lot and the other thing to say as well like again i know we keep emphasizing the stone ageness of it but you do talk about like saying that you don't have to be stone age you don't have to be the origins of it, it could be something completely different so you mentioned mm-hmm. time travel so people could just land and play it. but also if it's a sort of futuristic one so instantly yeah. comes to my mind something like horizon zero dawn obviously mm-hmm. the video game anything yep. like that and i was just like oh that would be so cool to have those sort of almost like Mad Max Fury type yes. style. So yeah, again, trying to break away from this 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 stereotypical image of like you know people huddling around the campfire but not having yeah. the intelligence to do it. And I was just like, actually, what a great way! It doesn't have to be past; it could be future, but yes. past, and the the Earth has taken over. And yeah, yeah. so I just thought that was That's... such a great bit of writing on that front. Oh, thank you so much. No, one of my maybe my earliest concept that might even have been the thing that launched the project was the idea of Mad Max with mammoths. Um, and I think just like Fury Road, actually I have a pet project where I'm trying to write an adventure that just like is explicitly Fury Road set in Plangia, <gasps> nice. which I think would be, as long as you know, as long as it's honest about what it is, I think it would be a good time. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah it's, there are sort of three or four really fun viewpoints on when this world is happening. Mm-hmm. One is sort of, this is post-apocalyptic. And I know Justin Alexander, who is A, iconic, and B, head of RPGs at Atlas, and C, my developer and editor for the project, really likes this. So this is at the end. I've got some stuff in there that says, well, it really might be. I mean, there's a Stone Age artificial intelligence called Deep Thought in the yes. book, which is like, is that a computer? Is that the last computer? It might be. It might be something else. And that's that's very early D&D. Like they all, there wasn't a separation between sci-fi and fantasy then. They were just, you know, you'd have your wizard, he'd come across a supercomputer and some mutants and it was just like all mixed together. So I love that. There's others who think of it as cyclical, that like Plain G is a world that keeps on destroying and reinventing itself and it sort of is its own thing. Um, one of the core developers of the setting really loves this idea and just like this thing exists and keeps on reinventing itself and this might be the hundred millionth plane gia it might Mm -hmm. be the fourth and it'll it's cyclical and what i personally like to believe and what it was sort of written towards but it doesn't have to be is that this is you know the name is suggests this is before the planes of existence break apart right right? Mm -hmm. and I like to think of it as this is the world that precedes the Forgotten Realms or many campaign settings. And a lot of what's in the book is intentionally built to be like, okay, this is true now. It's clearly different in the future. How and why? And I've Mm. got one thing in particular there that is just like subtle but interesting for me. I like this. In the dwarves, it says like, giants and dwarves love each other like they are pals and it's great and if you know anything about norse mythology that is not Not true true. no when what happened (laughs) when why how like that's a campaign seed and so a lot of these are built um you know there are no universal gods but there are these local gods how do they evolve right Mm. where are the there are no metallic dragons 
how do they come to be? So mm-hmm. the way I like to write the setting is it's all leading up. This is sort of pre-apocalyptic. It's leading mm-hmm. up to what's going to be the end of their world and the start of the worlds that we know. Kudos to you. Yeah, because I really love dwarves. And I think mm-hmm. they get sometimes get a bit of a bad rap in sometimes. And yeah, yeah. I, also, I also love giants as well. So when I saw that, I was like, yay, they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, can I tell you a secret? Absolutely. This will probably be, um, be released by the time this airs. Yeah. But we have sort of revived our Patreon, which was um, really mm, dormant so. for a while. And right now I'm working on, and knock on wood, we'll have released Primal Dwarves. <gasps> so four dwarf subtypes um, based on different types of stone. So whether you're ah. a volcanic dwarf or a sedimentary dwarf or a crystal dwarf or a metamorphic dwarf, they have different, all expressing dwarfness but like also the stone from which they're hewn it's i'm really really excited about it yeah. well i'm very excited about it now yeah, <laughs> I just, yeah there's just something about like you said like they are carved from the stone these are these original dwarves, and like yeah you don't have to do that you know i know you right. do that sort of out as well but i'm just like it instantly makes it just like oh that's so different and yeah, yeah and like the elves as well coming from the land of nod which again you mm-hmm. refer to this, the idea of the twin worlds of like the lands of dreams mm-hmm. and nightmares again i'm like what's that about? Oh, yeah. so, <laughs> right. I think, yeah. And this looking at it all, you know, like you could have theorized, but I did that like, all, mm. all the words, all the locations have really visual sounding names. So like blood mm. mountain, venom abyss, the uh, yeah. apparent uh, vaults and stuff. I'm like, well, yeah. I want to go, what's that about? You know, so <laughs> right. that's always the key thing to me is always having a good name or a good naming thing because names are so important in plenty. Mm-hmm. I know, but I just, yeah. it's just something about like just the naming of these places and like this idea of the, um, you've got the fangs of the world as well. Mm-hmm. This idea yep. that people talk about plenty as like this big mouth with the fangs yeah. at each side, which is all these elements. And I was like, oh. <gasps> Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I just, I just written my notes. Cool. 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 Yes. Oh, tick, tick, tick. I love it. I love it. I'm so glad there was a moment of doubt about three quarters of the way through the project where yes. I posted up a survey and said, Hey, I don't have invented names. Like I was looking at, I was like, really everything is like what it says on the tin. You've got the bear clan and you've right. got blood mountain. And, you know, there are a few made up names, like the giant cities all have right. given names, but I was just like, is this bad? Like, is this ruining your fun? And the strong reaction was like, this no. is great. We love this. Yeah. So, Cause it makes sense that people it. will just be straightforward and simple in naming. Yeah. Things. Cause I, exactly. yeah. Cause, it, cause uh, and then also, and maybe just a, a thing for me is that I have really bad time pronouncing things right so it's like oh great a few I, blood mountain everyone knows blood mountain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly there's some other fun things about the naming too which is for most given names there are sort of three tricks to, to the given names one is i made a name generator so i used that yes, um, yeah. and that was pulled from names from far cry primal the epic of gilgamesh and one or two other things where I was like pulling apart the syllables for those. And I had to make sure you could use it to generate right. all of the key names from all of those things because it had to had to make sense. But uh, most of the gods names and a lot of the other right. specific names are drawn from the Proto-Indo-European mm-hmm. glossary, sort of the language. Again, Far Cry Primal, I think they tried to create a spoken version of this. Mm-hmm. So the names, especially of gods 
tie to some of our earliest words for ideas. Mm. Um, so the names of the dragons, I think, for example, they're named for those colors. And so when you right. have like Quidos, which is the white dragon, mm. there's something you're like, your sense, your sound memory here. So it's mm. like, yeah, that feels right because yeah. it's coming from these sort of pre word, like words that formed our language. Mm. Um, and then for the giants, I just made it up because <laughs> I wanted them to feel different and other and like not be as logical yes. to us and sort of make them scarier by having less structure that we can grasp onto. Yeah, no, I think you definitely get that as well. We've not really mentioned it, but this book is obviously split into two. You have sort of the mm -hmm. primer bit for the players at the beginning, and then you have what I can only describe as a massive toolbox of the DM <laughs> saying, like, yeah. here's all the stuff you you may need as a player. And I think it's been one of the most detailed books in terms of like you give examples, obviously you show the map of Plangia, and here's mm -hmm. some big settlements you can put in, but then you go into so much detail both for the DM and for the player about creating your own stuff. So for example, with the mm -hmm. players, you really go into detail about like how important you know your birth is. Were you born under several uh, sons? Were you done this? You know, and breaking mm -hmm. it down. And you know, for some people that, that might not be something that they want. But I for me, yeah. I'm like, that's to really create plain gear characters and stuff. And similarly yes. with settlements as well. Mm -hmm. And I've not come across this. So apologies if I seem like a complete newness, this idea of no. a, the dice drop thing mm -hmm. where like you you roll your elements, but where they land on your paper, uh, not only does it determine the elements in that so the settlement, but also where it is physically. And I was like, yeah. oh, yay. I was like, yeah. that, that sounds a lot of fun because otherwise you're just dice rolling and you go, oh, writing it down. I was like, oh, I can right. I, I can actually be creative, actually do something physical. Yes. Oh, fun. So much fun. I love it. Yeah. The, uh, the, the player stuff was really inspired I, when Xanathar's came out mm. and it had the, this is your life tables. Yes. I was just obsessed with those. I would just sit there and roll, roll after roll after roll to see what happened. Right. I was like, this is what I've been missing and the thing that I've needed so much. And so, cause it's not in the core books, you can't no. reference it. Um, no. It's on the SRD. So those tables are an homage to how yeah. great Xanathar's this is your life tables are um <laughs> for the dice drops yeah I think I saw I forget which product I saw it in but it was some indie not the indie RPG sure. I think it is like it is a like an old technique but not one that I was familiar with either Say, for yeah. a long time yeah mm -hmm. uh, but it was great it was just like yeah you chuck your dice on the table and where they fall that's where things are it's yeah. it was really fun for me too because like i have a very messy desk um <laughs> so i'll actually just like drop it onto my desk right. or onto or i'll like throw a towel or a jacket on the floor and toss them on there nice. and then you've got terrain and elevation as well mm. um which is a lot of fun and yeah i you know there's a um I remember I took an art history class in college and they were talking about surrealist art mm -hmm. and saying how they really employed chance in their artwork. Like they would cut up pieces of paper and toss them into the air and make art from where they fell because they thought that the, there was a connection between the random and the subconscious. And I think for us, when we are playing a game that embraces randomness, where your characters are elements of chaos, where it's all about the dice, you know, you can make meticulously mapped dungeons that are sort of mm -hmm. every square inch is accounted for, but especially in this world where everything is shifting and unpredictable, you know, embracing that sort of subconscious storytelling through randomness just mm -hmm. tossing the dice and letting that be the story felt it felt very 
correct. It felt like everything was yeah. all locked in and locked together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, I think I, I, I was reading some of the reviews as well. They're saying like the fact this feels like one of the most complete settings where you could just pick it up and go, but then mm-hmm. you could spend hours of going through it and everything you need or things that you might not think about, it's there, but it's also, it's in a way that's not very, um, it's not like you must do all these things before you start right. an adventure. So like, yeah. like you talk about in, in great detail about like what it is like to be a part of a, a clan community, having mm-hmm. those uh, sort of uh, shamans, like developing weapons and stuff like that. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. Et cetera. But it's, it's written in a way that like, here's some things to consider when you're creating stuff. And I was just like, oh, this, cause it's such a, it's going to be so different to what we know as a, a fantasy town. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. going to have to need that, but it was just done in such a, a such a way, and then obviously having examples of it as well, right. and and then on top of that, of having towards sort of the end of these factions and uh, threats, which mm-hmm. is I, yeah, I love I love that that you will have politics still in some yeah. form, and like, are you going to have uh, allegiances to these factions? Are are you are you going to be one of these people that goes and sorts out one of the threats, or are you going to align with it? So I just thought there's right. there's so much, isn't it? There's yeah. so much, but it was just a joy to read and just rethink about how we play our settings that shouldn't that, yeah. that, that aren't just a carbon copy of what we might know now I'm so glad I'm so glad it, it worked like that thank you for saying that yeah, I think there are so many different ways of DMing and so many mm-hmm. different approaches to what a table wants what excites them mm-hmm. what a dm is able to hold in their mind versus just like i i make notes before every session i run mm-hmm. and usually don't even look at them it's just right. like yeah yeah i'm not holding them i'm trying to deal with all these maniacs who uh. are to, you know burn everything to the ground <laughs> so so it felt important to as you said give a tool a toolbox and or a toy box where it's like mm. here are all the things you can do you can make anything here are some examples of things you can make go and really mm-hmm. let them take out the legos that they wanted to take and put together something that makes sense for them this question is always a little bit awkward i find so apologies in advance but what would you say was the most challenging part of yeah. creating play because obviously like it's completed it's done but the, <laughs> did you did you struggle from writer's block at all or was there something that you're like how do i talk about this oh yeah like, no it's not awkward for me at all uh, okay. i am i am an absolute idiot about numbers i think that <laughs> i think i made the no number over nine it's just for myself like I actually would like to live in that world where it's just one through nine and then many many so yeah i really depended on the community and especially this core group of brilliant writers and developers who came around um, and formed sort of the Plangia, we call it the story team, Mm. um, who are just completely brilliant, able to remember a number for more than five seconds and actually interpret meaning from it. So the monster design, I worked with Mm. a brilliant uh, designer named Daniel Gable, who really put together the mechanics. I would sort of draft all of the lore, all of the prose about it and even sometimes throw in like i think it should be big and strong i think it should have like these kind of attacks and then he would take that and wrestle it into actual play right 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 same for you know i drafted the majority of the spells right then you know for all of them every single one it was like david this is insane this is way (laughs) too powerful or when would anyone ever use this um so uh, the yeah the specifics of the mechanics were for sure super challenging and then of course. the balance between what is sort of upfront in the player section and what's upfront in the dm section that mm. guidance sloshed back and forth between those two chapters mm. finding the right balance of telling the player enough but not too much yeah exactly giving the dm like you said the tools that they need without sort of overwhelming them i think there are like 30 pages written and laid out 
with examples and mechanics for how to run hunts, crafting adventures and right. gathering adventures mm. that just got pulled and are now like a paragraph because mm. it was just like too deep and too much. Right. And so it was a real wrestle. I think I wrote and rewrote the DMs chapter more than any other part of the book mm. um, just to find that balance. And it's such a tricky one to do as well, because like you said, you don't want the players to know everything, but you want to give them a decent primer because they're, you know, they're being not thrown in. I'm sure they got they said yes to going into this world, but there's, you know, just something for them to sort of like yeah. look at and go, oh, and get excited for, I think. Yeah. So then I'll also say, I'm sorry, but I, I do want to mention the, the one last thing is I changed as a person over the writing of this book. Um, I started in 2019 and very inspired by Lankmar and the Stargate movie and yeah. uh, 10,000 BC and all these things that have a lot to do with slavery and oppression and inherent racism. Mm -hmm. And so when I was started writing the book, I was like, that is a trope of sword and sorcery. Mm -hmm. That should be a trope of this. And I had no understanding mm -hmm. of how that would affect others through 2020 and the uh, the last couple of years, I learned a lot and really adapted what's in the book. And I think it's so much better as a result of it. Mm. But to be honest, there are still elements that I don't, I don't think I caught everything. I think there are things that, that linger. And I think there are, there are perhaps harms that I don't want to perpetuate um, mm. in the book. And so I want to, I think, uh, you know, what's most difficult to write? What was the most challenge? I think starting from a place of like, that is a core assumption mm -hmm. because of the tropes and then being like, why is that right? Is that good? Mm. No. <laughs> How yeah. then do I unwind that without unmaking everything? Cause that was where I sort of, of started. Yeah. That was a major challenge, super worthwhile. Mm -hmm. I hope that I did the topic um, service anywhere that I didn't, I just like definitely acknowledge the gaps there. Yes. We're just seeking to continue to improve. Well, and that's what, the, what I was going to say, because it's very, it is hard to uncouple that bias when you don't, mm -hmm. you know, you're just learning about it, but you do do an amazing job of acknowledging it saying, like, it's bad. You say that yeah. in the book. Yep. Like, it's bad. And then you don't in, do in it. All, <laughs> yeah. In all the places you're like, this is not okay. And stuff like that. Yeah. And I think, so I do think you, you, you do your, you do your best. That's such a mm -hmm. rubbish way of saying it. But I think you, I, I totally see that. And I appreciate yeah. you mentioning that as well. Cause it's sometimes people, like you said, you, some other people might not have noticed it at all yeah. and not said anything about it. But the fact yeah. that, that you noticed it was a big trouble and you wanted to change that and, and change mm -hmm. the work. And yeah, amazing. So on the flip side of that question, what was your favorite part to do? <laughs> was there a particular oh, bit that you you were like, like I, I know like you said you wrote obviously pages and pages and pages, but was yeah. there like a small bit that you were like, this is amazing and I want more mm. people to play it or so more people to look at it? <laughs> I mean, I just delighted in the factions and threats. Yes. I could have gone on and on on those. I can imagine. Um, I think it was just, ugh, it was so much fun to first off study how those things are presented in existing materials sort of think about what i need and what i would want to run at the table come up with you know that's where you'll find the most npcs in the book i absolutely love interesting yes. um challenging npcs each one has sort of its own approach to magic its own approach to warfare mm -hmm. whether how like subtle or obvious it is um and as well i think for sort of adventure prompts per tier of play for each faction. So it's just like so many here, start here and go. Yeah. Um, it was such a rewarding, well, the threats have that, the factions, all the factions have like jobs you can do. Mm -hmm. um, but it was such a rewarding network to create. Yeah. And I did it by looking at 
for the threats, it was by creature type originally. It was like, mm-hmm. I need to have a meaningful threat for each of these creature types. Um, and then for the factions, it was like, I need to have a meaningful either force for or opposition of the um, the different classes. Mm-hmm. And so sort of like looking at and, you know, asking yourself, not everyone plays with alignment, but what does law and chaos and good mm-hmm. and evil look like in the world? And sort of taking these, it's almost like, um, I don't know, taking a couple of different sifters and sifting every idea through it and being like, does every race and every, or sorry, every kinship and every class and every alignment have something cool and interesting to do? Right. You know, can a DM say, oh, you're a bard? I know exactly what I'm going to do with you out right. of this. And, uh, yeah, it was satisfying to see that all come together. Both the faction table and the threats table. Those are, you can see it like mix and match and, and have mm-hmm. a look through. And yeah, yeah, it's a, a good, what, 70 pages or so of all the yeah, stuff. You're like, it's a oh, lot. <laughs> I think you had fun writing that. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah that's that was cool. a good time. That just shows your passion. My sort of penultimate question is, if somebody was to pick up Plain Deer, what would be mm-hmm. your main big advice or top tip for somebody who wants to run a game in this campaign setting? That's a great question. I would say that the introduction i mean start with the first few mm-hmm. pages because the first chapter is welcome to plain gia and it gives you it really yeah. is intended to give you the primer and tell you what's in the book so i'd say to start there mm-hmm. for my money i would go to the threats i would say mm-hmm. what kind of monster do you like running what kind of campaign do you want and they're also built to provide different kind, different like styles of fantasy, different sorts of mm-hmm. play. So, you know, and they mention it, you know, this, this one is for heroic campaigns. This one is for horror. This one is for, you know, um, just monster hunting hijinks. So I would probably start there. And then I would guess the other thing is with a good session zero, what I like to do is introduce the setting ask them what kind of monsters they want to fight, what kind of, um, you know, feel of a game they want to have, mm-hmm. have them build their characters, send you over their backstories and then go from there. Because mm-hmm. for my money, the, um, the best campaigns arise out of the players backstories right. and the kind of monsters and threats that you personally find really rewarding to run. Well, brilliant. Thank you, David, so much. That was, yeah, I, I was, when I saw it, I was like, oh, 300 pages. Oh, no. And, I was like, oh, and now at the end, I'm like, 300 pages. Oh, yeah. So like, uh, <laughs> well, good. That's a good yeah. conversion. We'll take it's, it. Yeah. It's, like I said, you've really changed what I thought about like Stone Age adventures and stuff like that. So I was like, actually, there's so much you can do with it. Uh, my final, final question is where can we find uh, your work and what you're working on? And where can we get Plain Gear? Amazing. Well, if you just search for Plangea, P-L-A-N-E-G-E-A, it will come up. Um, so we have Twitter, which has, I think it's pinned tweet, has a bunch of the relevant links to all of this, including where to buy and where to talk about it more. There's a pl- very active Plangea subreddit and Discord server, which we would love to see you there. I'm on both all the time. We have relaunched our Patreon. So new material is coming out there like the dwarves and the primal dragonborn with an all dragonborn and one shot <sighs> adventure that we just put out, which is super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think those are probably probably the best places. 
Yeah. So um, we have an Instagram, which is just showing the art from the setting, which is mm. lots of fun. Yeah. So wherever you want to be, hopefully where you've got at least got a toe in there. Yeah. And I will say I had a quick look at the community. There's there's so much artwork, so much yeah. fan art. And that that is super cute. I'm very excited when I see that sort of thing. So clearly yeah, really you've, 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 you've definitely made a setting that people are excited to play in. And certainly I am oh. excited to play in. So uh, kudos, David. Kudos. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's very kind. It's been an adventure and it's been all done with the people who were into it from the beginning. So, exactly. you know, it was it from day one, it's been, let me write a page and post that page and get people's thoughts. So everything that you, is good about the book is arising because not only of my passion, but the passion of so many other people who mm-hmm. um, gave their thoughts and honed it from the beginning. So um, I'm glad folks enjoy it. And I, I enjoy enjoying it alongside everyone else. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much, David. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. It's been total pleasure.